Amen. You may be seated. And I'll invite Merlene Elder Matt Balaka to uh, preach us our sermon from Luke chapter 16. Thank you, Brad. Good morning, everybody. So Luke chapter 16, you can get there. Um, the passage about the rich man and Lazarus uh, starts at verse 19 and goes on to verse 31. Um, first, just a few things to say about, about this passage. Um, the story here of the rich man and Lazarus comes at a time when Jesus is speaking in the hearing of the Pharisees. Uh, Luke 16.13 has that famous statement that you cannot serve God and money. And then verse 14 says that the Pharisees were lovers of money and ridiculed Jesus. And then shortly after that, we have the story here of the rich man and Lazarus. And I believe this is connected to the teaching about greed and we'll get more into that later. The story of the rich man and Lazarus uh, is really packed with a number of important truths from the, from the mouth of our Lord himself. One of the things that I want to get to right away is the question of whether or not this is a parable. Is this a parable? Is this the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, or is it just a story of the rich man and Lazarus? Well, after looking into it, I would say that I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think it's a parable. I'll tell you why. There are too many real things that are discussed here. We have the name of Lazarus for one. Uh, parables normally don't give names. And then we have Abraham discussed, a real person. Hades, a real place. Moses, another real person. The prophets, more real people. Too many real things here are being discussed, which leads me to think that this is a, um, an actual story. It talks about what actually happens to people after they actually die, um, even though the rich man is not named. Right? We've got a name for Lazarus, one of the people, and we don't have a name for the rich man. Now, in the King James Version, the rich man is called Dives. Um, that's not a proper name. That's just another name for rich man. So if you read the King James Version and say, oh, I know his name. No, no, you don't. All right. Well, uh, without any further ado, let's pray and then we'll read our passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us together this morning to open your word. We pray that your spirit would open our minds, open our hearts. We know, Lord, that the power is in your word. I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would help the preparation that I've done on this passage. I, I pray that I would say it right. I pray that I would emphasize the things that you would have me to emphasize. I pray that um, our people would hear it right. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way with us with this passage by your spirit, and we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, <clears throat> let's read. There was a rich man who was clothed in fine purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things in Lazarus in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Amen. This is God's holy word. Okay, so let's start off. I, I better tell you the structure of what I'm going to be doing here today. You know, sometimes it's, well, I've got three points and, and, and all the rest. And I, you know, I tried to figure out a nice way to organize this, and, and I just couldn't. But I, I better tell you what, what I'm doing that way. When I get to point one in a half an hour, you're not thinking, ah, how, how long am I going to be here? Um, my, my basic structure is that I'm going to walk through the passage and comment on, on the passage. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. And then I've got six points, and those will go relatively quickly, and then a the conclusion. Okay, so again, point one's going to come at a time when you're thinking, boy, this guy's been talking forever. Um, so let's start off then with some commentary uh, throughout the passage. I believe there really is a gold mine of truth here. Um, I am thankful to God. I, I think I've discovered some of that truth. That's the idea anyway, and I want to share with you what I've discovered. We start our story with a rich man, and we're given some indication of his lifestyle. Uh, his clothing was purple, the color of royalty, and it was very fine linen. So this man was wonderfully dressed in all the best clothes of that day. He feasted sumptuously every day. And the idea of a feast indicates that he had company. And a rich man like this would have had servants to wait on him and his guests. So all the best food, all the best clothing. From a worldly perspective, this guy was really something of a big shot. And being invited to his place for a meal would have been a big deal. Then we're introduced to Lazarus, who is, who is described in sharp contrast to the rich man. This is a poor man. No fine clothes. Uh, rather, I bet his clothes were dirty, and uh, he likely had uh, a foul odor about him. Neither did Lazarus enjoy the fine foods that the rich man enjoyed. No, Lazarus was hungry. He didn't have enough food, and his desire was to be fed with whatever fell from the rich man's table. Um, we're told also that Lazarus was laid at the gate, and I'm thinking that if he's laid at the rich man's gate, 
he probably isn't in close enough proximity to actually eat the food that falls from the rich man's table. And the rich man's there with his guests, and there's the table. I doubt that the gate is so close to the table that Lazarus is actually trying to find food that falls from the table. No, I don't think it's that. I think this might be a way of saying that he ate whatever food was thrown out. During these great feasts, uh, there surely was some food that was thrown away, and I think Lazarus went through the trash to find his meals. And not only that, Lazarus was covered with sores. His body hurt constantly. Uh, don't, don't you wonder what the rich man's guests thought of Lazarus? They, they came to his house. They passed by the gate. They saw him. Uh, perhaps they had sport with him and made him the butt of their jokes. Proverbs 17.5 says that he who mocks the poor insults their maker. And if that wasn't bad enough, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, since Lazarus's condition here is being contrasted with the rich man, I'm thinking that the dogs licking his wounds would probably be a sign of not, not a positive sign. This is probably something bad that's happening. But I've also heard people say that, you know, perhaps the dogs were licking his wounds in compassion. Right? Dogs lick their own wounds uh, when they're hurt. Maybe they were showing compassion to Lazarus, which would indicate that these animals had more care for Lazarus uh, than the rich man did. Did these dogs belong to the rich man? Oh, maybe. If they did, I bet the dogs were cared for and treated better than, than the poor human at his gate. Does that ever happen in our day? Do some people care more for their dogs than for people? Uh, well, Matthew Henry says that those those will have a great deal to answer for hereafter that feed their dogs but neglect the poor. The fact that Lazarus was at the rich man's gate <clears throat> means that Lazarus, sorry, means that the rich man was aware of Lazarus. There, there he was. He knew he was there. He's at his gate. He's at his gate daily. It's, this, is a, this is a case of a human being suffering right in your presence. He's, he's, he's aware of him. Lazarus was heaven-bound, we, we know that from the passage, so this wasn't a matter of the rich man not giving to Lazarus in order that he might not enable him in some addiction that he had. That, that wasn't the case. Lazarus was a saint. He, wasn't, he didn't have any needles sticking out of his arms. No, this was neglect and uh, cruelty to one's neighbor <clears throat> and a neighbor who is right in front of you. Okay, so that ends the comparison of their earthly lives. Now we read about what happens after their death, and then still, again, we have a sharp contrast. Lazarus is discussed the first time. He's discussed first this time. The poor man dies and was carried away by the angels. Now, just that statement alone is really worthy of our meditation. I mean, can you imagine that? God intending that great comfort to us, that when a saint dies... He has his angels going to fetch them. The angels who are servants of God are called into service to go carry away the soul of this saint, Lazarus. God is aware of all his adopted children in Christ, and he knows the exact moment of our death, and God will have angels standing by to carry us away, not only to bring us safely home, but to bring us home honorably. Excuse me. 
<clears throat> okay, the, uh, the angels carry Lazarus to Abraham's side, or in the KJV, uh, Abraham's bosom. The rich glutton wouldn't have Lazarus except at his gate. The rich saint, Abraham, the father of the faithful, saw fit to have Lazarus in his bosom. This is the place of the saints prior to the final state when, we, when we're given our new resurrection bodies. It's a place of glory, free from all sin, and with the father of the faithful, Abraham. Father Abraham has many sons, and Lazarus is one of them. The thing that's a mystery to me is whether Lazarus has a right hand to raise so that he can praise the Lord. We'll get more into that <clears throat> later. Because uh, on a serious note, I mean, the, the state between our physical death and our final state um, when we have resurrected bodies is a bit of a mystery. We, we sometimes think of a bodiless spirit to be something like a mist, right? You know, what does my soul look like when I die? My body's there. What goes up? What, what's it? Just, it's a mist. You can't see it. You can't, it's invisible. It's not even a mist. Um, can't be detected. Well, again, that's the, that's the common understanding of it. I, I'm not sure that's correct, though, because of some of the things that I find in this passage. Abraham, who is not yet, he does not yet have his resurrected body, he has a bosom. <laughs> does a... Eh. Does a mist have a bosom? No. Uh, the rich man has tongue, has a tongue and eyes, right? We read about that in this passage. Lazarus apparently has fingers. Samuel is called up from the dead in the Old Testament. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah are seen, and Peter wants to make a tent for them. So I'm not sure um, what things are like in heaven or Hades until the final state, but there sure seems to be a uh, um, a lot of things that we associate with the feelings that we feel with our, with our bodies. That, that's all I'm saying. What we are sure about is that after the final state, things will get better for saints and worse for the damned. In the final state, when we have our resurrected bodies, things will get better for us in heaven and for the damned, who also will have resurrected bodies fit for destruction. Things will get worse for them. We are told about, uh, sorry, we're not told about how Lazarus's earthly body was treated after death. I'm, I'm guessing that his sore-covered body was not treated very well. I, I doubt anyone wanted to touch it, and there likely wasn't a funeral. Uh, but the rich man, he also died and was buried, and he would have been the kind of guy who, with money enough and friends enough, fr friends enough to have a, a very costly funeral. Perhaps people spoke about how no expense was spared at his feast and how much fun that they had at his parties. He knew how to throw a party, and he had a life filled with all that money could buy. And now, at the funeral of the rich man, he's in a better place. Right? Oh, is that right? Is that what's said at the funerals? Right? Anyone dies, they're in a better place. No. No, he's dead, and he's in Hades. Hades is not a better place. Hades is a place where the unfaithful go, awaiting their final state in hell. But already, as we read in the passage, Hades is very hell-like. The rich man who knew so many pleasures on earth is now in torment. Torment, in the dictionary, means severe physical or mental suffering. And severe doesn't quite capture it, does it? Being in torment 
we're now told that he can see Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. Just that knowledge enough, just that knowledge in itself is enough, I believe, to increase his torment. The rich man is in torment, crouching over in anguish prior to lifting his eyes up to address Abraham. And obviously, he sees Abraham and Lazarus not in torment. And not only that, he sees Lazarus enjoying close fellowship with Father Abraham. And it's Father Abraham that the rich man now addresses with his plea for mercy. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger, sorry, to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Seems that God allows the damned to be aware of the redeemed in heaven. Have you ever thought of that? We, we sometimes think and we sometimes wonder whether saints will be aware of the damned in hell. I think the answer is yes, both ways. I believe, based on scripture, that, that the saints in heaven will be aware of those that are damned in hell. And this passage seems to indicate that the rich man is aware of the saints in heaven. He knows enough to say, Father Abraham, there's Lazarus right at your side. Can you send him? So I think the answer is yes, both ways. He makes, his address makes some claim to his relationship to the patriarch, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, don't don't you see? I'm your child. I'm addressing you as a father. And notice, notice the smallness of his request. Really, I mean, think about that. He is in torment, in anguish, in the flame, and he has a request to make. And, and the request is a tiny, tiny request. It's a small favor. I don't see how it could get smaller. He must know in his heart of hearts that he deserves to be in Hades and doesn't deserve any kind of favor at all. This tiny favor, a single drop of water to cool his tongue. He's dying of thirst, though he can no longer die and be put out of misery and torment. The anguish of the flame is overwhelming, and a single drop of water would actually do him some good. But there isn't any water in Hades or in hell. No relief, not even the smallest relief. You know, we, uh, we took the kids to an amusement park not long ago, and um, those of you who've got several kids and have been to amusement parks, you kind of know how that goes. You wake up rather early, you stay pretty late. So this was one of those days, and it was approaching midnight. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, when I say that my dogs were barking that night, <laughs> man. Well, at the end of the night, you know, someone's gotta go to the restroom, and we wait and I lean up against the wall and just a little bit of pressure off my feet is, oh, right, doesn't that feel good? Just the smallest amount. Now I've got, yeah, I've got, I've got a half a mile left to walk to get to the car and then more walking here, right? But just a small amount of relief. Sometimes when you're, when you're in pain, that, that can mean a lot. Well, the rich man wants just a moment of relief and he wants Abraham to send Lazarus to the task. Lazarus is just a poor beggar, remember? Why not give him a chore? But what does Father Abraham say? Well, first he addresses the rich man as a child. He says, child, 
Well, that's true, isn't it, biologically, right? The rich man, again, Jesus has the Pharisees in view. The rich man is a Jew. He was born into the covenant, right? But he was unfaithful. Not all Israel is Israel, Paul teaches us in Romans 9. And when we get the word, then here we get the word that I think is so important. He says, child, remember. Remember, there is a memory of the damned in Hades and in hell. Don't you remember what things were like on earth? The, the implication is clear. And we get confirmation later when the rich man is talking about his dad and five brothers. He remembers. He's in Hades in torment. And he knows he has five brothers that haven't died yet. Remember you received your good things and Lazarus received bad things? Remember the contrast? Remember he was at your gate all the time? Remember ignoring him, not lending a hand or sharing a meal? Remember all the food that you could have shared? Well, now Lazarus is comforted here, says Abraham, and you, rich man, you are in anguish. Boy, it's nice to have water. I bet the rich man would like to have my bottle of water. Right now, in fact, right? Because I think it's a real guy. Um, He still, still wants a drop of water. Okay, remember the contrast from before. And behold the contrast now. That's what Abraham is, is saying to the rich man. Remember, remember you had your good things in life and Lazarus had all those bad things? Well, now he's in comfort and you're in anguish. Remember that big contrast? Well, n- now here it is again. Here's the contrast. It's the, other, it's the other way now. Lazarus is comforted now and will be for all eternity. And if I'm right about Lazarus being a real person, then he's still comforted this very day. He'll never know hunger pains again. He'll never know the pain of sores. He'll never stink again. And he'll never be lonely and uncomfortable again at someone's gate. He's comforted. And it'll be that way forever. But you, rich man, you are in anguish, and you will never know a single moment of comfort again, not even the comfort that comes from a single drop of water. And besides this, a great chasm has been fixed. No one from Hades can ever cross over that chasm and get to Abraham's side. And even if Lazarus wanted to give a drop of water to the rich man, he he couldn't. What a sober reminder of the finality and of the seriousness of what happens after death. It's permanent. It will never change forever. Those who are damned will be damned forever. And those who are saved will be comforted forever and never the two shall mix. Now now we move to the next question from the rich man. It's clear to him now that no mercy is ever going to come his way. He was denied the smallest favor, so he's not going to get any comfort. So now he asks a favor for his five living brothers. Sometimes after going through terrible pain in this life, you know, I've, I've not had any kidney stones or anything, but I've, I've heard those are incredibly painful. You, you hear people say, oh, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, right? Well, I don't want anyone to go through that. Well, now we, um, we have something like that coming from from this rich man. He, he is in such anguish, and he thinks about his brothers, and, 
and he doesn't want them to go through what he's going through. So he asks a favor for his five living brothers. Somehow, this rich man who's in anguish, in his anguish, he's thinking of someone else. Well, that, that's interesting, right? I, when we're in anguish, sometimes all of our thoughts are about ourselves. He's in anguish, and then he thinks of his five brothers, and he asks Father Abraham for a favor for his five brothers. Um, I, I really think, as I read through that, that that may be just an incredible rebuke against us by the Lord. Is it possible that this rich man in Hades cares more about the lost in this world than we do? We, we sometimes don't warn believers of hell because we're uncomfortable sharing the gospel. Uh, well, imagine how uncomfortable hell is going to be for them instead. Uh, our uncomfort or their eternal uncomfort? The rich man still wants Lazarus to be the task bearer, but this time he wants Lazarus to warn his brothers lest they also come to this place of torment. Do those five brothers need to be warned? Yes, yes, of course they do. Warned of the severity of the wrath of God that's due for their sins. Oh, that the world was warned of the wrath of God. But we Christians, we're too nice to talk about hell sometimes, aren't we? No, that's going to spoil the conversation. That's too serious a topic. We don't want to tell people that they're going to hell if they don't repent and believe in Jesus, do we? We, we don't want to warn them of the wrath of God that is going to put them in torment and anguish for all eternity. Well, that's, that's uncomfortable. I, I don't like having uncomfortable conversations. I'm serious. I, who, who's going to race to have that kind of conversation with somebody? Well, the rich man wants Lazarus to do it. <clears throat> I wonder if the rich man would do it himself if he was allowed, maybe. Well, even this request is denied, though, the rich man, and I think that's a lesson for us. No request will ever be granted in hell. Those who are damned will never have a single request granted, ever. But Abraham uses this opportunity to correct the rich man, and of course, Jesus is teaching us all something here. Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. Let them hear that. They have the law of God to convict them of sin, don't they? They would have, Jewish family. They have the promise of the Messiah and salvation in the prophets, don't they? God's truth is available to them in his word, right? Let them listen to that. And now we have this rich man in Hades repeating the same error that many Christians commit in their attempt to reach the lost. <clears throat> you know, um, I've spoken to unbelievers um, just about evangelism, just so they know, they, they know I'm a Christian. I'll tell them that. And they, you know, they sometimes give me advice. These unbelievers will give me advice on how I could better evangelize and better win people to Christ right? They don't like my method. They think that I could win more people if I do it a little bit differently. I'm getting advice from unbelievers on how to make converts. Oh, their advice is always wrong. It's, it's always wrong. I've never had an unbeliever give me a good piece of advice that, I could, that, that could be used in evangelism. They don't, they don't do it. 
<clears throat> and and this, uh, this rich man in Hades, he's wrong as well. Sadly, many Christians use methods to make converts that are also wrong. Uh, tell rebel sinners that God loves them and has a wonderful plan for their life? Are you kidding? God commands all men everywhere to repent? And you're going to tell somebody that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? What if he sends you to hell? Is that a wonderful plan? No, no, that's not good. We, we give them the law and then the gospel, right? It's not hard. Repent as God has commanded all people to repent and believe the gospel. Another bad method is trying to prove a miracle happened detached from the biblical narrative and worldview. <clears throat> Maybe you like the four spiritual laws. <laughs> Maybe you're not convinced as I am that that's a, a poor method. But you can't disagree with me about this method, that, about the, the poorness of the method of trying to teach people that some miracle happened apart from the biblical narrative and biblical worldview. Abraham, uh, it's right here in the text. They, these, sometimes these believers, these well-meaning believers sometimes, they think that the word of God is not good enough, not strong enough to convert people. So we have to show these unbelievers a miracle right? No, oh, not show them a miracle. We can't do it. I'll prove to you that a miracle happened. Someone was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago. I can prove it. The, uh, the disciples wouldn't lie about a thing like that. Well, tell me this. When the other Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus, remember the other Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, Martha right? He died, and, and Jesus miraculously called him out from the dead. Uh, did the opponents of Jesus repent and believe the gospel? No. No, they wanted to kill Lazarus again, remember? They, they saw the miracle, they knew it was a miracle, and they want to kill him again so that, so that no one else sees it. When, when Jesus was raised from the dead, the sign of Jonah, as Jesus puts it, did the opponents repent and believe the gospel? Nope. Showing someone a miracle or proving a miracle happened isn't going to get anyone to repent and have faith. Uh, a famous atheist, Christopher Hitchens, who I've, I follow a lot because I like watching Christians debate him, uh, speaking of miracles, <clears throat> um, he says that even if you prove the virgin birth of Jesus, that doesn't make Jesus' arguments better than mine. I can prove the virgin birth. Big whoop. So what? Doesn't make his arguments better than mine. I can prove someone <clears throat> rose from the dead. And anyone who, anyone who is raised from, anyone who is dead and comes back to life, that gives them authority, right? No, not Lazarus. Lazarus wasn't, wasn't Lord. He was brought back from the dead. On a college campus, some kid told me, I used to be dead and came back. I, I was in an accident and I was dead. Yep, seven minutes and I came back. I'm, doesn't make him Lord. No. Now, to be sure, the resurrection of Christ confirms Christ's identity. Absolutely. It's, but think of this. It's not just that any man was raised from the dead. It was the Messiah. It was the promised Messiah, talked about in the prophets, who was raised from the dead 
As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. That's right. This resurrection was a resurrection prophesied and accomplished according to the scriptures, Moses and the prophets. That's who the five brothers don't want to listen to. So how are people brought to faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, Romans 10. Just tell them what the book says. Tell them about Moses and the law. Tell them about their sin and about the promised Savior. God ordinarily saves people through his word proclaimed. And if they reject God's word, they're not going to repent if you show them a miracle or try to prove to them that a miracle happened. That's just what Abraham says. That's what I'm saying. It, it, it can't be disputed. Here it is. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. There. It's not going to do it. Send Lazarus back. Have him, have him spook these five brothers. Ah, I thought you were dead. Um, and have him, they're not, it's not going to do it. They won't repent. They won't be convinced. If someone did go to the house of the rich man and talk to his brothers, he would have to base his message on the scriptures, praying that God would grant these brothers ears to hear Moses and the prophets. All right. Um, I'm ready for my six points now. Uh, my time's, you can start my time now. Actually, I don't, I don't know how much time I have. I um, better, have, better have some water. Do I have till 10.30? No. Okay. I'll talk uh, quickly then. So point number one, not all rich men go to hell and not all poor men go to heaven. Okay. We got this. We have this uh, story of the rich man and Lazarus, but point number one, not all rich men go to hell and not all poor men go to heaven. What is it about money that we like? Uh, power, pride, security, pleasure, entertainment, money can do things, and rich people can honor God with much money, okay? Rich people can honor God with much money, and poor people can dishonor God with very little money. What are the sins of poor people? Greed, coveting, envy of all the things that rich people have? It's, it's not how much money you have, it's how you use the money, how you think about the money, and how you speak about the money. Okay, you, you, we think of uh, sins of thought, word, and deed. Well, that all applies to money, right? Has God granted you uh, a job that, uh, that gives you a lot of money? Okay, that, that's not a, no sin in that. You ought to thank God for that. But you can sin with your money, and if you do, it's in thought, word, or deed, right? What you... Uh, what, what does your money make you think of yourself? Whew. Well, it could, it could take pride through the roof, right? How are you using your money? How are you talking about your money? Job was rich, remember? Job was one of the richest men in his day. I was just listening to the end of the book of Job. You realize how many, how many donkeys and oxen he had? That's incredible. He was, he was super rich. So was Abraham. So was Joseph of Arimathea. All saints that are in heaven that honored God with their wealth. <clears throat> but there is a temptation, I think, that afflicts rich people in particular. They tend to think that they don't need to rely on God for their sustenance. Uh, remember the story at, in Luke 12, right, about a guy who had a bumper crop, and he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down all my barns, and I'll build bigger barns. And then I'll say, ah, to my soul, rest. You can rest now. You don't have to worry about it. 
Don't have to worry about food. Don't have to worry about depending on God for food. Jesus says, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Greedy people go to hell. That's point number two. Greedy people go to hell. 1 Corinthians 6.10 says, the greedy shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Am I going too fast? Is that, that's pretty clear. Greedy people go to hell. <clears throat> 1 John 3.17, this is talking about Christians. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the Father's love abide in him? Point three, God wants you to care about those in need. If this is convicting for you, good. Uh, repent and strive after new obedience. If, if unbelievers are judged for not caring about believers, if this rich man is in torment for, for the sin of neglecting Lazarus, if this unbeliever was supposed to be caring for this believer and he's being judged for that and other things, how much more ought believers to care about unbelievers? Lend a hand if you can't lend a dollar. I think Matthew Henry said that. Proverbs 19:17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. One of the ways that we neglect the poor and the needy in this world, and some of us will do it right now, and I do this, I, I find myself guilty of this all the time, is simply just do your best not to think about them. Just do your best, right? You, you clo close, your, close your ears as best as you can so you can close your heart. You don't want to think about them. That's, that'll do. No. Okay, point number four, the memory of the damned. Jesus said every idle word would be brought into the judgment, and the condemned will be haunted as they remember every single idle word along with every sinful thought and every sinful deed. And this... This weighs on me, actually. Um, I believe that the damned will remember all those who shared the gospel with them. And the thought, you know, of, uh, of those who I've shared the gospel with who will remember me forever um, in hell, that, I, don't, I don't know, it's just unsettling to me. Um, I'm not sure how to feel about that, but... God doesn't tell me to worry about that. He doesn't tell Christians to worry about that. That's his business. We're just trying to share the gospel faithfully. That, that's it. I, I don't have to worry about someone who I share the gospel with and rejects me and is in hell forever remembering. You know, I didn't like his hair that day, or right? Just maybe cursing me. I don't have to worry about that. That's God's business. Point number five, the memory of the saved. Um... The Shorter Catechism, question 38, says this. It, this sort of ties into what we're talking about. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? The answer is, at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. That's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, openly acknowledged and acquitted? At the day of judgment, others will know and see other sinners being acquitted. What else are we acquitted of except our sin at the day of judgment? What does it mean to be openly acknowledged and acquitted? 
I, I, again, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I, I do believe that the memory of our sin is in view here, and this is, this is crushing to me, and, and I bet to some of you, the, the memory of our sin in this life is just, it's one of the worst things to visit, isn't it? I, I hate it. Um, and, and somehow Christ will receive glory by us in the remembrance of all our sins. You know, if you doubt this, and I've talked to people before who've said things like, oh, in heaven, you know, God's going to erase our memory. We're not going to remember any of our loved ones on earth that didn't make it. He's going to wipe our memory there, and, you know, if, if, he'll, if he'll fix it all. He'll just wipe up your memory. I, I don't think so. Um, did, did Paul forget about his participation in the stoning of Stephen in heaven? Has he forgotten about that? I don't, I don't think so. In heaven, will we remember the gospel? Oh, yeah, right? We're going to be giving glory to Christ for all eternity for, for his gospel, right? That Christ died for our sins? Uh, what sins? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I remember those. Which ones? Uh, now, I, I can't imagine how Christ will do this. As I said, you know, my memory of past sins haunts me. I, I hate it. I hate to think about it, and if I told you about it, you would hate to hear about it. Sometimes I try to make a joke and attempt to, like, wash away some of the sins of my past with humor, but, but it's in vain. Um, and I think it's sinful. God doesn't think sin is funny, and neither should we. It's hot up here, but not, not that hot. <laughs> okay, um, so, uh, so I can't currently walk down memory lane uh, without tripping over egregious sins of my past. But somehow in glory, I think Jesus will walk with me and, and show me uh, each sin covered in the blood and each sin serving to magnify his glory and, and my love for him. You know, I, I say these things now because I believe them to be true, but I, I can't imagine how they, how they can be true. But I, like I said, I, I believe it. You know, in, in the Lord's Supper, we're remembering Jesus and his work. And, uh, and his work applied to me is the covering of all my sins, all my past sins. Okay, uh, point six. We're almost done here, those of you who are hot. Um, the law and the prophets. <clears throat> you want people to repent? You should. Give them the message of the gospel that God has given in his word. It's his gospel. It's his good news. He writes the mail. We just deliver it. So tell them of Moses and the law given at Sinai. Show them their great need. Tell them that they need to flee from the wrath to come. And tell them of the promised Messiah written about in the prophets and fulfilled in Christ. Tell them that God commands all people to repent and believe the gospel. Tell them that in Christ alone, by faith alone, we have forgiveness of our sins. So in conclusion then, the rich man died and Lazarus died and something happened to each of them. Someday you will die. And the question is, what's going to happen to you? Something's going to happen. 
Do you see what awaits unbelievers? If, if, if you've not repented of your sin and trusted in Christ alone, you're planning to be in torment, and you can be sure of this. There will come a time when you would give anything for a single drop of water. You know, I went to jail once, um, and, uh, and I was really carefree. I, I, I spent the night in jail once, and, and, I, and I, was really, I was carefree there. I just had no worry in the world because I was falsely accused of something. And, and I knew that no one ever gets falsely accused and then gets sent to prison. <laughs> Again, I thought that as a dumb kid, right? I, I realized now, whoa, I was that close from, from actually going to prison, <laughs> right? But, but I didn't do it, I, and, and here I am in jail without, without really a care in the world. <laughs> um, I thought it was funny. Um, and, I, and it was a good story to tell all my friends that the, the funny, uh, one of the funny things about it is that I was with my brother, and we both got we both got taken to a city jail, very nice city jail, right? I got fed pancakes in the morning. It was really nice. But my brother, for some reason or other, in the questions that he had answered, he got sent to L.A. County Jail. Not that's not so nice. I had a I had a jail cell to myself. They brought me food from a restaurant, a local restaurant. It was it was great. He was served nasty bologna. Real, like gross bologna sandwiches. He said it was gross, and he was in the general population next to guys who were breaking razors and trying to cut each other. It was, and he spent four days there. <laughs> anyway, um, that's just a story. Um, so imagine being in God's prison for all eternity and knowing that after each day, you're no closer to being free. And on top of that, it's solitary confinement. No good things there, not even company. So we hear, misery loves company, right? Well, the miserable in hell will have nothing that they love. No company, outer darkness. And if you're a saint, see what torment and anguish Christ suffered for you. And think of the water of life that he will give you for all eternity. Water of life without cost to you, but at a great cost to our Savior. We like to hear good news, right? Uh, rain is coming. The doctor called back with good news about our health. Stock market is recovering. Listen to this good news. Because of Jesus, you won't be tormented in the anguish of hell, but rather comforted for all eternity in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this text. We We kind of understand that <clears throat> it would be hard to learn about hell from anyone except Christ who suffered the anguish of hell. But you've seen fit to give this to us in your word, and we pray that, that we would receive the truth that's here and, and take it to heart. We pray that your spirit would, would work on us, that we may be changed in the ways that you would have us to be changed and I pray, Lord, that I pray, Lord, that the handling of your word this morning was done in a right manner. And I and I pray that whatever whatever was dross in this sermon would be discarded from the from the consideration of your people, and whatever was true would be would be used by your Spirit to to do us good and to encourage us. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Thank you, Matt. I invite you to stand as we sing our hymn of response in 404, The Church's One Foundation. <laughs> 